The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you are in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I'm really happy to be here again this morning. Um, COVID-19 has been such a big part of everywhere you go, and many times it seems like it's been a difficult conversation. So our our title today is COVID-19, Healthcare Crisis Management Done Right. So amongst the, a world of doom and gloom voices, I am so happy to welcome my guest, Joe Tai, who brings a measured, confident, and wise voice to the issues we now face in healthcare. Joe jo is the founder and head coach of Values Coach. He is a sought-after speaker and author of many books, including The Florence Prescription. Reading this book felt like, to me, coming home. Um, I have talked on other shows about how I was able to uh, be a part of building an organization that is the kind of place that I think Florence would be very happy to come and and check out. So uh, Joe has created a fictional hospital with a fictional consultant who has come to ask the question, what would Florence Nightingale do? if she was here and returned as a consultant to a modern-day hospital. So although May 12th is Florence's 200th birthday and I've been a nurse for 44 years, I have learned more about her in the last six months than ever before. In many ways, she can be considered the mother of modern hospital structure, creating healthier environments for patients. Um, She started in a barn-like structure that was helped that housed jam-packed sick and dying soldiers in the Crimean War. Most of us know that about her, but maybe not what she did with that situation. Um, She realizes that she needed to separate patients, give them a clean environment, um, have clean sheets and blankets. She uh, instituted regular notes on the change in their condition, nutritious food and people uh, around them with compassion to care for them. But the greatest gift she gave to healthcare is something that Joe Tai calls invisible architecture. And that is part of what we will be talking about today, along with amazing stories occurring every day now. So, um, Joe Tai, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Good. And could you give us a brief overview of your career and what brought you to training healthcare leaders? Well, uh, I I joke, but it's true that I'm a recovering hospital administrator. Um, I started my career uh, managing the emergency medical services uh, department at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, um, and I'm actually now back working with them in a very different capacity. Um, Ended, uh, uh, went to business school, um, became chief operating officer of a a large community teaching hospital, and then uh, about 25 years ago, it was time to change direction. I got very interested in leadership and, and culture, so I started Values Coach, started writing, started doing more speaking. 
and really zeroed in on the notion of um, the importance of having a culture of ownership and, as you mentioned, this concept of invisible architecture. Great. How did you get interested in Florence? That seems like um, an interesting um I guess I, I it, it's hard for me to see that connection. So, so bring me up to date. How did you get interested in her? Well, it, it wasn't there wasn't a single aha moment. But as I was reading about her her life and her work, um, it struck me that of course she is the uh, the person who more than any other founded nursing as a profession. She really defined what it means to be a nurse. She's remembered as the lady with the lamp. Um, but if you really study what happened in those two years at the Scutari Barrack Hospital, um, she, more than any other person, created a blueprint for the hospital as we know it today. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. if you chart out on an organization chart all of the things that she started, first hospital, housekeeping, laundry, maintenance services, she was responsible for procurement. She calls it that today. We call it supply chain. Um, she established the first patient library, patient chapel. Literally every department in every hospital in America um, can trace its roots back to what Florence Nightingale created at the Scutari Barrack Hospital. And then after the war, she came back, and, of course, she wrote the book Notes on Nursing, which is probably the most, single most influential book in the history of the nursing profession. She also wrote a book called Notes on Hospitals, much less well-known, but probably even more influential because it guided hospital architecture for more than 100 years. So you truly can say that Florence Nightingale was the, um, the founder of the profession of hospital administration every bit as much as she was nursing and that mm-hmm. she was the architect of the hospital as we know it today. So that's what piqued my interest. You know, I was thinking that maybe people have heard of her but may not know exactly where she fits in history. But uh, the Crimean War uh, was during what period of time? Well, it was from 1854 to 1856. It is forgotten because it was really a senseless war. And Mm -hmm. really the only two things we remember about it are poems. Uh, There's the poem about the charge of the light brigade, you know, ours. Mm -hmm not to mm-hmm. wonder why ours, but to do and die. And then the poem about Florence, the lady with the lamp. Mm-hmm. So um, that was right before the Civil War in the United States. Uh, so it kind of will give people a little bit of, a, of an idea of um, how things were structured or, or you know, even, even for a woman to have any kind of say in a situation like that is unbelievable. So I think as we think when we're dealing with nurses, as we're dealing with administration or whoever that we feel like is standing in our way, uh, we need to realize that it doesn't have to be perfect for us to be able to do good work. And so that's kind of where I'd like to go. Um, I just wanted to touch on what your thoughts are about what you're seeing with the management of this crisis in the healthcare that we have in the United States right now. Can you say a little bit about that? Well, as with any crisis, it brings out the best and the worst in Mm -hmm. people. And I think, um, you know, obviously we're seeing some significant challenges. Um, We were not prepared for this epidemic and should have been. Um, 
was a, a book published two years ago called The End of Epidemics by Dr. Quick, and, who's worked internationally on epidemics for decades. And he outlined very clearly what was going to happen, how we could prevent it, which we didn't do, what we should do to deal with it, which we um, started doing way too late. So there's been a lot of mismanagement at multiple levels. Um, there's also been this incredible um, heroism, uh, not just on the front lines, but you know, environmental services, food service. We've seen right. people leave the safety and comfort of their homes to go to places like New York City and volunteer. It truly, um, uh, truly heroism. Yeah. One of my students that I, uh, my uh, listeners know that I taught um, uh, R and Refresher course for nurses for five years. And one of my students that I just have been amazed and impressed with him, uh, he just contacted me yesterday and said that he is going to be going to the, the new kind of hot spot in New Jersey. So um, <clears throat> it's amazing how so many people have that that courage to go from safety to insecurity and just know that that's where they need to be, that they need to be able to do whatever they can bring to the situation. Um, so I'm really proud of him and all the other people I know of that are, are um, doing that kind of thing. So um, I was uh, thinking about, uh, we, we keep hearing all of the negatives and I think people have really gotten an earful on that. Still, the the PPE situation, personal protective equipment, is still a problem, um, and it's very hard to understand how that can keep going on all this time. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? If I could solve that quickly, I would be on my way to Stockholm to collect my Nobel Prize, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) One of the positive things we've seen, though, is the way, you know, I think the the three most important words in my book, The Florence Prescription, are proceed until apprehended. And that doesn't mean be a loose cannon. It means find a way to fix something, uh, do the right thing. And we have seen breweries and distilleries stop making alcohol and start making hand sanitizer. We've seen manufacturing companies use their 3D technology to make face shields. Um, We've seen people, um, even though the PPE shortage is very real, it's uh, a dangerous thing, um, our caregivers deserve to be protected, but we've also seen some incredibly um, innovative and creative approaches um, and I think what we need to do is, um, number one, at Rose Sherman is the editor of the publication Nurse Leader, and in her newsletter this morning, she said we've got to hang on to the good things and we've got to um, uh, remember the never again things. Never again mm-hmm. should we be unprepared for this kind of an epidemic. Never again should caregivers have to uh, put themselves and their families at risk to uh, pursue their calling, caring for others. Um, But let's not forget the good things that have happened. Let's not forget the teamwork, the camaraderie, the pride. Let's not forget how we're recognizing the unsung heroes, uh, the people behind the scenes, the lab techs, the pharmacists, the the environmental services people, uh, the managers who are working um, 20 hours a day trying to get the things that their people need um, there are a lot of really positive things that we want to hang on to. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm glad that you're mentioning all of those because it is so important for people to understand that uh, nurses, you know, obviously this show gears toward nurses, but it also incorporates every aspect of healthcare you can name and every um, part of the of the industry. Um, but I, I feel like nurses, uh, particularly is what I know, and how much we really step up whenever there is a huge problem we really try because we've had to do this probably throughout our careers is there's never enough of whatever it is that you need it seems like you're always trying to do workarounds or you're trying to figure out how to do something better with with less um and somehow or another it seems like nurses uh do a really good job of that what i've been really impressed with uh is the fact that so many uh teams are working to you know maybe they're getting to know each other a little bit better um but being able to really bounce ideas off of each other so in a more egalitarian rather than um uh, top-down kind of hierarchical kind of um relationships listening to each other figuring out what works and and then spreading that so other people can use that too has that been your experience also well, you know, yeah, that is exactly what we mean when we talk about a culture of ownership. Um, instead of waiting for someone to tell you what to do, you know, think like an owner. Um, figure out how to, if something's not working, if you don't have what you need, um, instead of just complaining about it, think like an owner and, and do something about it. And we're seeing an awful lot of that. Of course, you know, there's some... Um, there's some that are not participating in that way, but I, I think, by and large, um, the positive, uh, when it comes to how people are acting, the positives greatly outweigh the negatives. And not you know, just in this country, around the world. You know, we're seeing, um, we're seeing people coming together in, in amazing ways. Um. I think that in my youth and childhood, I was um, a pretty cynical, negative person. It was not my personality, but it was something I learned during the Vietnam years. thought that was the way to, you know, the in way of, of talking, and that was the way grown-ups um, dealt with things. But it was really in having uh, a series of some pretty incredible managers and, and um, leadership in the healthcare positions that I was in that I really learned that that is not something that is very helpful and that what encourages people is when you bring up your best, you bring up your humor, appropriate humor, you bring up your positivity, you bring, you, you start getting curious. What are, what, this looks pretty bad right here, but what can I do to make it better? Sort of what I call changing poison to medicine. Um, as a Buddhist, that's a very common uh, comment, and I guess it's probably true in just about every religion. They have their own version of that. Um, so let's go back to the book and talk about what it was that you wanted to teach people that are in a, in a leadership position, and leadership meaning every person in the organization can be a leader, whether that's a formal or informal position. So what was it you wanted to teach a couple of things. One is, you mentioned earlier the term invisible architecture. Um, we call it the blueprint behind the blueprint. Um, 
it is, when it comes to the patient experience, the employee experience, the things that are not visible are far more important. Um, we we put incredible attention into the architectural planning of a hospital. You know, we have mm-hmm. committees looking at carpet color. Um, there's a blueprint that shows where every light switch goes. And then we move in the culture pretty much haphazardly uh, without a plan, without um, without guidelines, without expectations. And what you end up with is a hospital where the culture you you have a patchwork quilt of a culture in many hospitals. You know, the culture is different in nursing versus pharmacy or environmental services. Within nursing, you have a different culture in emergency ICU operating rooms. And uh, we actually use a construction metaphor to help people create a plan for their invisible architecture where the foundation is your core values, and most hospitals have a uh, kind of a boilerplate statement of core values that people don't know. Um, On that foundation is culture, and that's the personality, the character of an organization. And in a great organization, you can feel it uh, everywhere you go. Um, And then the interior finishes attitude in the workplace. Um, It is uh, so appalling you know, when Bob Dent, who is uh, chief nursing officer of three of the hospitals at, at Emory in, in, in the Atlanta area um, and former uh, uh, president of AONL, the American Organization for Nursing Leadership, uh, when Bob and I uh, were working on our book on building a culture of ownership in healthcare, we were absolutely appalled by the prevalence of terms like bullying and um, mm-hmm. incivility. Um, disrespect, uh, compassion, fatigue, and burnout being uh, consequences of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we've created um, and we encourage people to raise your awareness of how these these negative attitudes and behaviors affect you. Um, We've created a variety of tools, some of which are very simple, you know, the pickle challenge, um, and there's a, a promise, I will turn every complaint into either a blessing or a constructive suggestion. And when enough people take that promise to heart, it has a visible, uh, tangible impact on the culture of an organization. I love that uh, whole concept. Partly, I I saw it first, I guess, on some uh, posts that you had on LinkedIn, and I was going, pickle challenge, what on earth could that be? So as I started, you know, learning more about it, and then you mentioned in this book also, uh, it really started to make more sense, whatever you call it, it's basically being conscious of what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're interacting with other people, and what's, what's the gift that you're giving others? Is it something that's smelly and horrible and they want to stay away from you? Or is it something that they want to be closer and say, what are you doing that's different? Why is it that that people feel good around you? Uh, so that's kind of what I how I think of it is, um, I think you called it the pickle ideas that if people are going around with their faces scrunched up like they've just uh, taken a bite out of a really vinegary pickle, um, that's what doesn't work in, in um Anywhere, but especially in healthcare. Well, what we've seen is that um, when people really make that commitment, they they are surprised, often appalled at their own complaining. And we mm-hmm. tend to complain about so many things, mm-hmm. um, and they become more aware of how negative their environment is. And you mentioned the pickle challenge. We challenge an organization to take a period of time. 
People decorate pickle jars. They do all sorts of fun stuff. But during that period of a week or a month, um, every time someone catches themselves complaining about something, or if I catch you complaining, I'll invite you to put a quarter in a pickle jar. And all those quarters get donated to whatever charity the organization has picked. You know, often it will be like an unemployee assistance fund, uh, Mm -hmm. a community food bank. We have had now, that we know of, we've had 45 hospitals participate. There are many others that have done it without our knowing about it. They have raised over $100,000 in quarters by turning Mm -hmm. 400,000-plus complaints into positive contributions. And to me, that's a great metaphor for the opportunity we have to turn the negative attitudes, the complaining, into something positive, a commitment to doing something about it. And I think if anything good comes from this COVID-19 crisis, it may well be that people stop complaining about the petty little stuff and Mm -hmm. start working on things that really matter. Exactly. I've heard people say it, that um, your attitude is infectious, and um, do, do you really want people to catch what you have? you know, what, what, what your attitude is. And it is infectious if you're seeing people. And, and I think that a lot of times people don't know how to do it different. If this has been the only thing they've seen and the only thing that they, you know, trust is this is normal, this is how people interact. Until you actually see people interacting on a more professional, uh, more uh, adult <laughs> level, um, it's hard to say, oh, you know, I, I could do that. Um, I used to notice it as an OB nurse when I'd be working with uh, husbands in uh, when their wives were in labor. Um, they wanted to help, but they just didn't really know what to do. So everything they said and did usually was like counterproductive and more harmful. Um, so I just started modeling. I wouldn't say anything to them. I would just show them and talk to their wife. And, you know, um, uh, eventually they would say, oh, I can do that. Would you show me how to, you know, put pressure in that place and um, help me to say the right words? And they would end up going forward and doing a great job. But they just didn't know what to do. So they felt uncomfortable and in the wrong place. Um and uh, they just needed uh, to hear it and see it. What would it look like? And yes, I can do that. I think it's true with organizations too. Well, that's what we see with this pickle challenge. Instead of having to confront somebody, stop your whining, um, you, you can just very gently say, I think you should put a quarter in a pickle jar. And you know, the metaphor I always use is smoking. Uh, people old enough to remember when smoking was everywhere on airplanes and taxi yes. cabs and the cafeteria and the hospital. Um, and and we people felt powerless. You couldn't do anything about it. And today, if somebody lit a cigarette on an airplane, um, they would be thrown out without a parachute. And it's <laughs> the same, literally, it's the same thing. When, if you can go for 30 days with no um, toxic emotional negativity, um, you, you just don't go back. I got a, an email from, or I got a letter actually from the CEO of a hospital we'd been working with for a long time. He said, I got a whole new team and didn't have to change the people because they changed themselves. Right. And I've come to see that as the gold standard of positive culture yes. change. When enough people make that personal commitment, uh, culture inevitably changes for the better. 
Exactly. And I think people want to be their best self. Uh, I see it as a continuum of we're all on our worst self to our best self. And we're, you know, moving back and forth every day and maybe every hour in between there. But I think most people really would want to be their best self. They just don't know how to get there. So what are some of the things other than the pickle challenge that you do with healthcare leaders or within organizations to help develop that invisible architecture? We really work at two levels. Um, you know, I said that um, Paul Udemark got a whole new team and didn't have to change the people. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of what we do is helping people at a personal level more mm-hmm. effectively deal with negative self-talk have the courage to do the things they've been putting off doing. We have something we call the self-empowerment pledge. It's one promise for each day of the week um, on personal responsibility, on holding yourself accountable, on being determined to do the things you're afraid to do. Um, mm-hmm. And when, uh, when people really take that to heart, uh, for example, at Midland Memorial Hospital in West Texas, um, every single morning um, before before we had to do the physical distancing, um, about 80 to 100 people gather in the main lobby, and out loud they would say that day's promise from the pledge. Mm -hmm. And they've been doing this for years. I can go around, and and most of them know it by heart, I can Mm -hmm. go around the room and I can say there's somebody who now has a, a DNP who'd been putting it off. There's somebody who lost a lot of weight. There's somebody who um, has has started writing a book they've been putting off for a long time because they've been taking these promises to heart. Mm-hmm. So at that personal level, there are a lot of tools, a lot of ways you can help people be that, that best self. Um, and then at an organizational level, um, we, we need to help... Um, People need to have a plan for their invisible architecture. They need to have a, especially now, um, they, they need to have a plan that talks about how are our values actually acted out uh, on the floor. Uh, how do people perceive our values? Um, I mentioned Rose Sherman, the, uh, the editor of Nurse Leader, the mm-hmm. uh, uh, journal. She asked me to write an article about uh, value. She said a lot of young nurses are complaining to her that they see leaders not living the, the values tacked up on the wall in the lobby of the hospital. Exactly. I did a I did a survey of all my readers, my newsletter readers, and and on LinkedIn. And only uh, one of the questions was, "Do you see um, leaders uh, living out the values?" Only two out of ten people strongly agreed with that statement, and these are almost all wow. healthcare professionals. Um, wow. So we need to use this. Uh, we, this this crisis presents us with a great opportunity to look mm-hmm. at our values, to look at our culture, to, because culture is going to change. Uh, every organization uh, coming out of this is going to come out different than they came in. Um, and whether that's a positive or a negative change will be determined by what they do next. And, and the best leaders are already starting to work on it. How, right. What is our plan for making sure that our cultural transformation is in, in a positive direction? I think that's the one of the great attributes of really good leaders is that they don't wait until whatever is right in front of them. They anticipate what's going to be needed 
in the future, uh, whether that's like, you know, preparing for a crisis, it would have been nice to be able to know um, this is coming, this is coming fast, and been able to prepare for it better. I guess, you know, having lived and worked in hospitals, I just see that as being almost innate to most hospitals. So it was quite, it's been quite a shock to me. Um, but then also planning for what's the best, you know, what what do we need to do next? Kind of like you were saying, go back and look at uh, what didn't go so well, what went really well, how do we build on the good and and detour on the on the bad stuff? This might be yeah, a good place. Time. This might be a yeah, good place to, to take a break. Now. Yes, exactly. Not when uh, uh, suddenly everybody is uh, coming back into the the mainstream and uh, uh, needing to have some kind of structure of what are we doing? Does somebody have a plan? Is there a big, you know, uh, general um, blueprint for us to follow? Um, We're going to take a break here because this seems like a good place for it. So um, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. Today we're talking about COVID-19, healthcare crisis management done right. And I'm talking with Joe Tai who is the founder and head coach of Values Coach. He's a sought-after speaker. He's written many books, and the most, the one that I've most recently read was The Florence Prescription. And uh, we've been having a very interesting conversation about the positives of what can happen when people are working in a good direction. We'll be right back. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. Womeninhealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and thank you so much for joining us, uh, or for staying with us, I should say, through the break. Um, I'm talking today with Joe Tai, and he is um, an amazing man. I have been gaining so much from him. Um we were talking on the other side. I should remind us all that the name of this program is COVID-19, Healthcare Crisis Management Done Right. Um, Joe is the founder and head coach for Values Coach, and he does speaking. He also has written a number of books, including the Florence Prescription, which is part of what we're basing this conversation on. So um, over the break, we were trying to decide which way to go. And what occurs to me is that there's so many people out there that really um, maybe have been in organizations that have not had this kind of uplifting, positive, supportive kind of culture. Uh, And it's very difficult if you've never seen it to know how you could make that happen. So I was thinking maybe that we could talk a little bit about some of the experiences we've heard of or uh, through work that uh, Joe has done uh, about what that looks like if you're coming into an organization that is not a very healthy one. What can you as an individual do or um, maybe as a department? Somehow people start to uh, work together and say, we could, we could do something on our small level. Uh, Joe, any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think we have such a great opportunity now. Um, people are being forced to work together in ways they never have before. We're appreciating the, the behind-the-scenes people who make our jobs possible, you know, supply chain, um, food service, uh, housekeeping. And I think the big challenge now for leaders at every level is to pay attention what's working, how what's galvanizing these people to uh, support their colleagues when maybe in the past they were bullies, maybe in the past they were more cynical. Um, how do we, uh, I think of it as the tornado effect. You know, after a tornado hits, we all come together as a community. We help people rebuild their lives, their homes, and then we sort of slip back. How do we not allow that to happen? And I think it, uh, a big part of it will be what do we expect of ourselves and of each other? Um, how, do we, um, how do we take personal responsibility and not blame other people, uh, which is obviously the beginning of um, the first step in figuring out what, 
went wrong is being honest uh, in a, a just culture sort of way about where did the system fail us? How do we change it? And then I think uh, every hospital should take the opportunity once the crisis, in fact, even before the crisis has passed, take the opportunity to honestly assess where has our culture been, how is it changing now, and it is, um, and what can we do now to minimize the harm, the damage that's been done to our culture, and there has been, and how do we optimize the positive things that, that we've seen happening? I, I agree. That's really going to be so very important. Um, one of the things you had put in the Florence prescription book was the fact that so many times we have this hierarchical um, atmosphere in healthcare where people don't know and don't really care what, what other jobs are happening. And so we don't really realize how important it is that the painter comes in and paints a room that is um, uh, not very uh, appealing or uplifting for somebody who has to be sick in it. Um, the housekeeping people that are cleaning up uh, messes that we're probably making through the work that we're doing, but we just sort of, they become invisible to us. We go on doing our work and we don't even notice, much less thank them for the work they're doing that makes it possible for us to keep working. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, when I was a big hospital chief operating officer, every three months or so, I would take half a day and put on a housekeeper uniform and go do that job. Mm -hmm. And I got treated totally different and never in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the lessons we need to take from, from this is that if housekeeping doesn't do their job, we all get sick. Exactly. If the lab doesn't get the test results right, everything else goes wrong. Um, mm -hmm. If the supply chain people aren't on top of their game, we have PPE shortages, and they're sitting in a warehouse somewhere. And I think um, bringing down the silo walls, um, treating people with the kind of respect that our value statement says we're supposed to, but we often don't, uh, becoming more intolerant to uh, bullying, to um, toxic emotional negativity, the way we once became more intolerant to people polluting our physical air with cigarette smoke, um, those are positive things that can and hopefully will come out of this crisis. Winston Churchill was the first to say, and it's been repeated many times since, it's a shame to waste a crisis. And if yeah. we don't come out of this with, um, with more uh, with stronger organizations, with uh, stronger people in those organizations, um, then we have wasted a crisis. Yeah. Yep, that's very, very true. Um, and that's the thing that a lot of us don't, it, it's like, I always think of it as perspective. Where are we choosing to look? Uh, if we choose to look at the worst aspect of any situation, that's what we see, that's what we react to, that's what we believe is the truth. If we recognize that there's another side to that same story and we try to find the curiosity to look for it, we suddenly find ourselves realizing, oh, there's some really positive things here too. And I would never have seen them going at the pace I was going before. Um, and so really trying to really develop that appreciation to an extent that it doesn't just go away when I get back into being busy. So I think, I think that's kind of what you're saying, right? Well, very much so. You know, you and I are both on LinkedIn, and we've mm -hmm. seen pictures of 
caregivers and others out in front of their hospitals with picket signs, you know, we need PPE, help protect us. And we've seen pictures of caregivers out in front of their hospitals holding up signs saying, we're here for you, please stay home for us, Um, thank you. Uh, We're seeing fire departments come up to the hospital and running their sirens and and, um, as a way of thanking the caregivers. Um, What are we going to remember from this? Are are we going to remember that too many caregivers didn't have PPE, or are we going to remember that in this situation, which would have been very familiar to Florence Nightingale or Clara Barton um, uh, before us, uh, we we found ways to come together. We found ways to overcome our challenges. Um, instead of pointing fingers and blaming, we took responsibility. We made decisions. We took actions. Uh, we were creative in ways that we never were before. Uh, we really did have that spirit, that that culture of ownership, where we didn't have to wait for you know somebody in a corner office. Uh, we had leadership right. in every corner. Exactly. Um, I just got uh, off the, I was listening to the radio before we got on here, and um, there was a housekeeper that was being interviewed uh, from one of our local hospitals, and she said she'd been a housekeeper for 30 years, and she was so upbeat, she said, yeah, I'm seeing some really awful things that I've probably never seen before, but I'm also seeing, and then she, you know, relayed some of the other things she was seeing, and, and the fact that people were starting to see her also, um, maybe people that hadn't noticed before. Um, so it, it's it's just really true that we um, we have to recognize that everything everyone contributes something, and it may be that somebody is in that position of housekeeping because of their previous economic situation, their um, uh, whether they were documented or undocumented, that maybe that person could have been the CEO or the, the um, uh, prime uh, surgeon that everybody is so amazed at. But because of their situation, that wasn't a possibility for them. We need to appreciate that everyone brings something. And how can we find that out? You ask them questions. Um, so I see that as being really important. You know, one of the hospitals, that, um, one of the most amazing, impressive, positive culture change um, uh, transformations I've seen is at Children's Hospital New Orleans, and it's, it's they're a current client of ours. It's, it's an ongoing process, um, and one of the departments that has had a key role in that is environmental services. You know, mm-hmm. every morning they get together, they do that pickle pledge. There, the the change in the department has been. Uh, visible throughout the organization, and it has done a lot. Their change in their own attitude and how they look at themselves has done a lot to change the way other people look at them in a very positive way. I like that you brought that up because um, so many times, especially in my nursing class, people would say, well, I'm just one person. You know, this is a big organization. There's no way that I can impact it, um, just my own little self. But that's not true. And it, it is just maybe smiling at somebody, making faces at somebody to make them laugh, um, any number of little things that get noticed. And then slowly other people pick them up and you start seeing them more in more places. It's wonderful if it can come from the top down where somebody is hiring somebody like yourself to come in um, and be a consultant and say, here are some proven facts 
we have done studies on this. We know that if you are doing blank, 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 you will get this result. Um, I think you you and I had talked at one time about, oh, I know it was uh, Bob Dent actually that was talking about the incredible results. Um, you had mentioned him before. He's a CNO and he is now, uh, I've forgotten where he is now. He, he was at Midland in, in West Texas and now mm-hmm. he's at Emory in uh, right. Atlanta. Uh, he and his uh, protege at Midland uh, is uh, uh, Kit, and I'm going to forget his last name. Uh, Bro- Kit Bredemus. Bredemus. Uh, the two of them are going to be on the show the end of May, and I think that should be just really exciting, too, because he's that kind of person where he wants to create that positivity. And so he's the person that's going to... Um, uh, he, I guess what I started to say is he was talking about all of the statistics on how things had changed, particularly at Midland, um, for the better. And the organization that I was a part of, um, that we grew for 25 years, some of the same things happened. We were being given awards from all over the country on things we were doing. Um, we changed our, our uh, orientation program, so we called it our new employee welcome Uh, Everything that we were doing was tried to be put in a very positive light so that the the person receiving it, whether that's patient or a new employee or um, whoever that person might be, can expect something positive and then hopefully be even more excited by what they get. Um, And we were seeing statistically we were just moving up the uh, the scales as far as um, best hospitals, uh, Etc. along the way. So when you see that statistical information, I think that helps those people who don't really kind of get the touchy feel aspect of healthcare. Um, it's it's easy for them to say that really has holds no value uh, financially for the organization, and it does. You know, in in our most successful projects, our biggest cheerleaders have often been the chief financial officers, because they see the impact of culture on the bottom line. Um, You mentioned Midland. Um, uh, I went into the CFO's office one day, and I said, Steve, um, I'm looking at at these various results, and I think the financial impact of the culture change here at Midland Memorial Hospital is a, a cultural productivity benefit of about $7 million a year. Hmm. Is that a credible number? Can I share that with others? And he said, it's a credible number, but it's an underestimate of the real impact. Really? And Yeah, and, you know, people people who use terms like touchy-feely and soft stuff um, uh-huh. really don't get it. You know, Peter Drucker's <laughs> culture eats strategy for lunch. Um, it works best when you have culture and strategy working hand-in-hand. But if you don't get culture right, strategy's going to fail. Exactly. Exactly. And we've seen that in various different places. It's almost like, I don't know why we have to keep reinventing the wheel. You know, it's like Florence had it all laid out for us. All we have to do is follow what she uh, had uh, planned for us. And yet we still think that we can make something better and then it, it fails. But somehow or another, we don't necessarily go back to what has worked. Um uh, I, that just really, I guess it's part of human nature, but um, I, I think that if we can 
again, be doing long-term planning as opposed to short-term, quick-fix kinds of things, I think we will tend to see much better outcomes. Is that what you're seeing? Oh, for sure. but I will say, you know, there, you often hear things like, oh, it takes a long time to change culture. It's like, it's like turning an aircraft carrier. Um, I actually found a picture on the Internet of an aircraft carrier doing a hairpin turn. I mean, they really can today. <laughs> and it's the same thing with culture. Um, in the last two months, three months, the culture of every hospital in America has changed. Mm-hmm. And, and it will continue to change in, in some significant ways. And I think uh, the challenge for leaders in every hospital um, is going to be how do we capture what's good, cement it into our cultural DNA, how do we um, recognize, acknowledge, take responsibility for the things that, that um, weren't good and make sure that they don't happen again. One of the hospitals we work with is a a rural critical access hospital. They have had zero COVID-19 patients Mm -hmm. in their entire county, Mm -hmm. and yet their revenue is down by 60%. They've had to put off a new building project. Why? Because all the electives have been canceled. So even if you're not directly impacted, everybody's being affected. Yeah, exactly. I had a thought there before. Oh, leadership. Um, So if you happen to be in an organization where the leadership has not been stellar, has not been thinking long-term, or has not been um, seeing the the reality of relational organization along with a a good business business organization, um, what can you do as an individual? You're working at this place? you leave? Do you, what? I mean, is there some way to, I I don't know if the board members choose that CEO, how does that work? Are they going to actually look at the, how that person managed during this crisis? Well, it's their responsibility to to do that. Um, But I'd say if you're, uh, if you're not in the executive suite, um, remember what Gandhi said, he said, be the change you want to see. Mm-hmm. And if enough people, um, if enough people change the way they treat each other, if enough people, I, I found a picture on the internet that I often show of a tabby cat looking in the mirror and seeing a lion look back. <laughs> right. um, and yeah. you know, if enough people will be that best self, um, it will have an impact. At some point, if the leadership is not rising to the challenge. Um, it might be time to go in and have have that tough conversation. You know, mm-hmm. in the in the Florence prescription, my fictional consultant has that tough conversation with the CEO. This is the these are the values on the wall. I don't see you or your team walking that talk. Mm-hmm. And because and some, it was fiction, I could make him listen. <laughs> sure, right, right. Yeah, he said. I think I read your book, so at least uh, he was somewhat prepared for what he was going to get from her. Um, yeah, that's the advantage of being the author; uh, you get to yeah. <laughs> d- direct how it goes. So um, maybe we've talked about this somewhat, but what I was thinking of as a last question is, what do you expect to see in healthcare? Um, be, see healthcare become following this healthcare crisis? What? What? Um, how do you how do you expect to see um, the way healthcare is done going forward? 
very different. Um, I got an email from the CEO of another hospital we work with saying that we've had seen more positive change in the last two months than the, uh, than in the previous ten years. Um, it's a, a larger, but a larger rural hospital in one of the hardest hit communities, um, and and um, they're doing things like telehealth. I, I had a phone call recently with um, uh, the the guy who's responsible for patient experience for the entire Veterans Health Administration, and he said, Otto, "We have 110 million visits a year." Um, at the end of last year, it was 10% telehealth, and it's now 85% telehealth. Now, it's not going to stay at 85%, but I'm pretty darn sure it's not going to go back to 10% either. Right. And I think that's a great metaphor. You know, this is a lot of things have changed radically. Um, how do we capture the best of that, you know, telehealth being an example? Um, and, and how do we make sure that the bad things uh, the lack of PPE being an example. How do we make sure the bad things never happen again? This could be, this could be a moment that helps us to elevate our industry, to elevate our professions um, in a very positive way if we capitalize on it. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, feel that healthcare has not been going, especially people in healthcare, has not been going the direction that they would like it to go. And hopefully the dialogues that will be hap- happening on all levels uh, will be enough to help us turn this uh, aircraft carrier. So um, so uh, I just... Um, I'm, I'm coming to the end of the show here. My my engineer is giving me the um, hello. Are do you are you aware of this? So um, is I really want to thank you, Joe, for coming on. Uh, it it has been very um, uplifting for me, and I'm hoping uplifting for our listeners also. And I hope that maybe sometime in the future we can have you back again. I would love it. I appreciate being here. Thank you very thank- much for what you do. You're so welcome. So as 2020 unfolds, we will be needing to support, encourage, and recruit more nurses, not just in the United States, but all over the world. Tragically, some will need will be needed to replace courageous healthcare workers who came to work in dire circumstances to care for patients with COVID-19, contracted the virus. Some of those people will have survived, but may need to struggle with moral trauma afterward and need to realign their world before they can come back to work, if at all. Some may have died. I recently started a page on my website, uh, which is www.onceanurse.com, called COVID Corner, to provide resources, stories, connections, and encouragement for nurses everywhere. It is also on LinkedIn and Facebook. So please contact me uh, either on the website or through my email address, which is Leanne at onceanurse.com and share your experiences of joy, sorrow, innovation on the front lines of nursing, wherever that may be. And thank you so much for listening um, and most important for all the contributions you are making. So this has been uh, Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. We've been talking about COVID-19 from the healthcare crisis management done right perspective. And my guest today has been Joe Tai founder and head coach of Values Coach, and the author of many books, including The Florence Prescription. Thank you so much. 
you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.